0: Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In today's episode, we conclude our four-part series on David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Streets. Uh, we're super stoked to have you here. This is the co-host, the voice, Nick Kleitsch, uh, and with me, as always, Cole Sosinski and Jeremy Machino. I said your last name with much more confidence here today, Jeremy, but how are we
1: doing, gentlemen? <laughs> I, um, I'm very proud of you, Nick. That is probably like the first time in a couple of weeks that you've been that confident about my name, so we're, we're stepping in the right step, but we had a good day. Uh, the The pitching coach side, uh, we had a couple of breakthroughs with some athletes today, and that was... That was superb. Football season is basically done at work, so I'm very happy, and you know I'm just ready for the next couple months.
2: Well, and it's also your dad's birthday as we're recording this on Sunday true. afternoon. So happy birthday to your dad, uh, first and foremost. Shout out to him uh, for birthing us an awesome son, some awesome <laughs> kids. Um, but yeah, man, it's been it's been a good weekend. It's been kind of fun to to watch Tom Brady show off his greatness, get back to a Super Bowl. Uh, as we're recording this, the Bills and the Chiefs are playing. Um, so you're welcome, State Street residents, for taking some time off from watching that to record this. Um, but yeah, man, I'm looking forward to a good conversation uh, to wrap up David and Goliath and, and kind of get on with with our next uh, series, next guests, and, and some good content we got coming for the last bit of January and into February, guys.
0: Yeah, man, it is... It's a sacrifice that we uh, we make uh, to produce content, produce the podcast, but it's uh, it, we love doing it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And uh, to wrap up a, a great book like this to start 2021 on a hot note is super fun. And then we're also going to be getting into other stuff down the road here that I'm, I'm super jacked about. And I think hopefully both our efforts here and on social media will, will improve on that. Uh, to really get a full scope of what we're covering. But without further ado, the final portion of David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. We've covered quite a different array of topics, some very, uh, uh, very dense and very controversial, some just kind of outside of the box thinking. And uh, it's been a super fun book, I think, top to bottom or or from start to finish. But our whole course today is going to be predicated on human behavior and how much power we should be putting into the hands of, of government and people in authority. Um, so, just to kind of get right into it, um, there was a, a case study that we read uh, about uh, North Ireland and also about Britain. And there was a town that um, I don't, be- I think, were they trying to take over the town coal or what was the, the setting for this uh, case study?
2: If I'm not mistaken, it was it was a religious thing between Catholics and Protestants.
0: yes, that's right, okay. so a religious a religious ongoing kind of battle back and forth, and um what we took away or where we kind of get into things here is naturally, in a situation where one power is trying to control another off the cusp or on paper, we would think, okay, the more we more power we use on people, the easier it will be to have these people comply. Now, when we get into the nuts and bolts of it and, and into the case study, we figure out that almost the exact opposite happens as if opposite magnets were you know, pushing against one another and um, just seeing how ramifications of those actions um, really like play out. Um, but I'm just going to pose a question, Cole, as you were reading through this and Jeremy as well too. So what was some of your like kind of takeaways on their process and how it really got ugly.
2: Well, I think the the over the overarching idea that you presented to begin with is is right, especially for this case study or or this part of the book that we read because it is it's uh it's a religious battle between Protestants and Catholics and it's all premised around the idea of bringing in government to control People And and really, it starts out as something very innocent and something that's precautionary to keep people safe, to be peacemakers or peacekeepers. And it turns um, over time to really total authoritarian um, controlling of people type of stuff that we can even see in today's world when it comes to COVID-19 and and BLM. but And, and so it's, it's, a, it's something that was done, and, and Nick, I'll let you give context, but it was something that started out as innocent and with good intention and turned very, I don't want to say quickly, but over, over the course of time and, and through the test of time, because time is the, the greatest test, uh, into something that ended up being very, very unproductive, much like what we'll see with other case studies, kind of as we, as we keep talking here.
0: Yeah, and it really we emotion, emotional thinking or emotional reactions versus logic really was the the icing in the cake here for the whole conversation. But what had happened was they were just trying to simply control this area. Things were getting a little bit out of hand, and so naturally they thought, okay, we'll bring in a couple more troops, uh, impose a little bit more restriction and a little bit more authority, and. That led to a little bit of a natural rebellion. It wasn't anything crazy at that point. But what really turned south was there is unfortunately a couple events where people perished. And so when someone dies because of something, there's a massive emotional reaction that takes place. And this can be in really any sort form of, of situation where the moment this happens, we immediately think, okay, we got to change the rule. This is how we need to act. And it's very hard to balance back and forth logic versus emotion. And so the, this culture um, got very, very emotional because of this uh, death and they wanted to justify to this other power you know why Why are you guys not held to a standard for doing this or what's your justification for doing this? And unfortunately, what's what ends up happening is there's really not one. And things start getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse and getting tighter and tighter. And all of a sudden there's got to the point where it's kind of a, a bloody massacre where the government came in at a total control uh, to these people and were literally ransacking their homes on almost a daily basis. And these people who the government thought would comply due to these extreme measures actually did the complete opposite. And they started to uh, burn buildings. They started to go after these soldiers. And it just got very ugly, very fast. Or excuse me, when those things happen, it got very ugly, very fast. So it kind of made me think off the cusp, like, you know, naturally, again, we think power equals like compelling or um, I'm not thinking of the word right now where people comply. There we go. Comply right. to what you compliance. want. Yeah. Compliance. But we find out that's not the, the case.
2: Well, and it goes back to the, the U curve, right. That we've talked about before the inverted U curve that up to a certain point, it's great because it does, it allows for people to have accountability. It keeps people in check. And in this case, you know, be, when it gets to be a religious, uh, dispute, you know in the case of the book and again this took place in northern ireland there were there were bombings happening there were ransacking of homes and when you get past that equilibrium point on the the inverted u curve of the amount of power applied or the amount of strength applied or or compliance expected whatever you want to call it or however you want to slide the scale you begin to tip the scale when You know, uh, when a when a military tries to take too tight of a hold on a neighborhood of people or or a group of people, and it it does, it it starts to produce rebellion. It starts to produce harder and more constrictive more constrictive restrictions. You know, they got to the point where they were trying to place curfews. And a guy, an an older gentleman, this is just one example from the story, but an older gentleman was beaten by soldiers because he stepped out of his door at night, whatever their curfew was past that time. And people are, you know, like you said, Nick, it's the question then pops up. Well, how do you justify that? Because it's such a meaningless act. It's such an innocent act. The guy's just, the guy's, the guy's outside, and I don't remember the exact reason why he was outside, but this guy's in his, his nightgown and his, I can, I can just imagine he's in his nightgown and he's in his, his little slippers and he steps outside and these soldiers see him and, and extreme action is taken where it's not required.
0: Yeah. And that's where people or the reciprocators of that get really mad because they don't see the opposite. So they don't see how what has happened, how they have that happen to the other group that's enforcing it. And I'll pull some context from the book here. I did mention that people who um, are asked to obey to authority, have to feel like they have a voice um, or at least being heard. And so in this particular case, th- there was no hearing at all. It was just completely like, whatever the hell you're going to do, we're going to say F you basically, and just impose what we have. And that's where the people really started to you know, get fired up and start to to burn things and destroy things and hurt people. Um, and it's because they didn't feel like they were heard. Uh, also, uh, the second principle here from the book is the law has to be predictable. And it was far from. I mean, you, you go outside past a curfew and your life is almost um, you know taken over. And as gruesome as that is, I mean, we've seen some realities of that in today's world, not to go too far in depth there, but that law has to be predictable in some sense. Um, and then the last is just fair, being fair. So if you're not fair to one group and fair to another, um, then people get confused. And, and this is why authority can be so misunderstood.
2: Well, really quick, Jeremy, before you go, when you have you know, a law and it becomes, this is what we're living by. There's no, like there is no predictability of or there's no leniency towards something that is very innocent, like stepping outside of your doorway just to see what's going on um it it doesn't allow it, it's very black and white it doesn't allow for the gray in life it doesn't allow for the gray in law and you do begin to then lose justification for some of the things that happen uh that that maybe wasn't required or could be taken out of context or or any any of the any of the above scenarios i guess
1: I uh I kind of wanted to just go back to the point of like people don't feel like they have a voice and I like I don't know if this is gonna be like super deep or like how how deep we get on this but um it, it repeats itself throughout history I mean I think the most famous example in American history is the Revolutionary War people didn't feel like they had a voice in America and and they over they revo- they revolted and I think we just keep going down this path every every so every what ten twenty years and and like we never change like there's no change there's always gonna be there's always one group that um that I always feels left out and in this case it was the 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 people in the or the Irish town right and like so how do we how do we figure out a, a system of government that will not only listen to the the masses but also understand the people that feel undervalued or feel like they don't have a voice and i feel like that's a like that's the main problem we see in a lot of today's world is like there's always one group that always that is heard And then the other group always feels unheard. So how do we fix that? How do we like going forward, what is what is the divide or what is the changing factor that makes that like cohesively bond?
0: great point, Jeremy, honestly, but I think that's the hard question. I mean, I'm glad I'm not the person making the rules because there are so many things to consider on that. And though Malcolm, you know, outlines these principles very, very easily or very obviously the implementation is a whole nother process. And obviously throughout time, we've created laws for certain things that have happened. And, you know, back in the old days, it was a little bit different. I mean, if I think if you had a problem with someone, you kind of just went out to the forest and you took care of it. and, And then word of mouth was really, your justifier uh, to that, so I'm glad that we do have some form of law and order. But I just I love this conversation because the real underlying question here is how much is too much, or what? How do you enforce authority while creating balance? And that's obviously much easier said than done. But what isn't complicated is going over and checking out our friends at Driftless Quality Wear these guys are, are have been partnered with us for quite some time now and very very adaptable great clothing hats uh, a bunch of different stuff that they're going to be coming out with here in 2021 and Um, I know we have said this many times, but I'll say it again. We're just highly grateful to be in contact and work with the the folks over there. Uh, We're super excited to see what this year brings. And uh, who knows, maybe one day they're going to have a brick and mortar store that you can walk into, or maybe they have one established, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, And we're just super, uh, super stoked. So if you guys go and check out their store and put an order in at checkout, you can type in state street pod um, for... A 10% off of the entire cart's purchase. So I'm gonna bounce it over to you, Jeremy. Did I forget anything there, or are we covering those guys in a healthy manner?
1: I think um, the only thing to to add to that is it is DriftlessQualitywear.com. Please go ahead and check them out whenever possible. I, we all have clothing uh, accessories. Like I even have a stick from them that I've had for the last three years. Like these things are built to last. Go uh, go check them out. They're, I mean, they they create the best stuff you could ask for.
0: Well, it really, I mean, you scratch your head a little bit as to, you know, what process is the best to implement. And again, it's it's a hard gray area. We're combining law and order to human behavior. Never easy. But we're gonna keep the ball rolling here for the second, uh, like, case study, if you will, to the um, to the episode. And we're gonna be talking about uh, a very emotional event now. This man named Mike Reynolds, um, unfortunately, the beginning of this study, his daughter is is murdered in cold blood. Uh, someone came up to grab her purse and he was armed and he shot and killed her in the head. Now, Obviously, any one of us put in that situation with a a family member would be highly, highly emotional to what had happened and would demand justice. And so Mike went out and he did that with the state of California. He demanded justice, and justice was served. They created a three strike rule, essentially saying on the third offense, no matter what, this person will have to serve a maximum sentence to whatever. Uh, you know, whatever the, the length of time would be. I think it was 25 years was the minimum on that.
2: 25 to life, yeah.
0: 25 to life on the third strike. So yes. what they were trying to do is he was so emotional because the, the killer of his daughter had multiple offenses prior to this one. So Mike thought, rightfully so, if this dude's got multiple offenses, he probably needs to keep tabs on him. Like, we we need to keep tabs on this guy. Like, you can't just let him, like, right back out into the streets and expect him to be a, an abiding citizen. Um, and so with the three-strike rule, essentially, it uh, doesn't matter what the crimes are. First, second uh, can go through. But then the third is, after that, you're serving that amount of time. So, Cole, I'm going to have you actually explain um, the severity of how that this could be misinterpreted with the gentleman that stole the, the slice of pizza.
2: Well, Part of the thinking, too, behind Mike, Re- and obviously, like you said, Nick, very traumatic. The guy, this guy, Mike Reynolds, had his daughter murdered in cold blood, right, for literally doing nothing. Um, and the idea behind the three-strike rule was to increase the cost of committing a crime, or, or increase the penalty of committing a crime, and essentially try and make perpetrators no matter the severity of the crime being committed, try to make perpetrators rethink committing that crime. Is it really worth getting my second strike or getting my third strike or getting a strike? Now, like you mentioned, Nick, there's a case in which a guy had been to jail twice before. He, a guy had two strikes and he was caught because he, he was caught and given his third strike because he stole a slice of pizza from a kid. And because of this three strike rule that we came to know through the book that was passed actually out in California, where I currently am, it's not a rule anymore. I will just let that be a cliff note. Uh, But the guy was essentially put to place the prison for 25 years to life because he stole a slice of pizza. Now. I'm not condoning, you know, stealing of any kind or committing a crime, but that's ridiculous, right? And that's what government and local officials came to find out and see as a flaw within this this law. Basically, Mike Reynolds acted on emotion and did what a lot of people would naturally do. And because something traumatic happened to his daughter, Happened to him, happened to his family, he leaned on his local government and state government to res- not resurrect but but resolute what happened and try to make a wrong into a right and make a situation better off. and we kind of come to find out through the story of you know the slice of pizza. And another one, Nick, that I'll let you explain,, uh, because of that, he he brought his state and and led his state into a costly experiment that did have flaw and was not um was not correctly interpreted in the way that it maybe, maybe should have been, or maybe it wasn't carried out in the way that Mike Reynolds had intended. He intended to have people who were out to murder or kill or viciously harm others put away and, and, uh, and taken care of for that amount of time with the three strike law. And in consequence to that, I'm sure there were a lot of bad people put away and rightfully so, but also we have cases such as a slice of pizza uh, being stolen, put someone away for, for essentially life.
0: So I think as you said, Cole, Mike in his mind had a really good thought process. He just wanted justification for that. Like he, he just wondering why multiple offenders are just out in the streets, basically doing more crime to what they would be doing and he that bothered the shit out of him and rightfully so right. I, I wouldn't want you know that to, to be taken place i mean it is in today's world but where things get out of hand here is justifying the severity of the punishment and balancing to that to what these criminals uh, are doing and one of my favorite parts of this is malcolm does a nice job of highlighting it but he goes if we were dealing with law-abiding citizens that have a clear mind and, and grew up in a morale household where we understood kind of how to treat people what's right from what's wrong, this would be a perfect rule because you get a little bit of leverage or leeway if you make a mistake, you know morally you wouldn't want to make it again. you know the DUI for example, that was that was on my on my record and now I don't want to do that down the foot down the road here. Um, but criminals don't think like normal people. And that's what Malcolm is addressing is that this would be good in theory, except what we're working with and what we're, we're trying to implement are with people that don't think and act in a moral way. They're very much misfits. They're outlaws. They they, they asked him in an interview, the, the murderer, and he said he didn't really even know why he did it. He had no recollection or even real care to what he was doing, but that's how he was born and raised in an environment in which he didn't play by the rules. And so trying to enforce a logical um, process to a, a craziness or a mis- um, again, trying to c- control things that aren't controllable in in a, in a summed up way, um, we had gotten to the point where it actually hurt the state quite a bit because that actually, outside of just people being in jail, caused a lot of children in those co- those low income communities to not have their parents around and not have a, a father figure or a mother figure. So that had a plentiful ramification.
1: No, um, I absolutely hate this rule. Like, I, I I'm hearing about this for one of the first times, and I I think it's one of the worst things. That you could probably implement on a society where everyone gets three strikes right um i think anything that like blankets a whole group of different individuals is a a terrible idea everything should be a case-by-case basis like like you bring up the pizza the pizza thing right dude shouldn't be doing 25 years for stealing a pizza or whatever he did he it's more than likely that's a fine slap on the wrist don't do it again if he keeps doing it, sure, maybe like give him a year of jail time, but there, there's no reason you should be giving him a large sentence, right? And it just like it, it, it goes back to like, why why are we pu- uh, punishing people that don't need to be severely punished? Like that's only going to create more problems than, I think, solutions.
0: Yeah, and, and that's what they were that's what they were divulging. Um, now there's another balancing case study to this, and Cole if you were heading that direction, go ahead.
2: Yeah, so I was gonna introduce. So we come upon we keep reading and we we understand we get an understanding of this of this story. And it's and it's tough to talk about, you know, just in a period in like a a short period of time and try to get it out to people for a, a good understanding. But we keep reading and we hear about this story um of a mom who basically is waiting for her daughter to come home from school. The daughter never comes home from school, and they find the the authorities eventually find this young girl um, in a shed, dead, tied up. And the mom, they, they, they don't know who the murderer is. They don't, uh, for a long, long time, like years go by before they find this all out. But in the meantime, um, to, to give some background, the family is of like the Mennonite faith. They're pacifists. They don't believe in, you know, fighting, uh, physical altercation. And because of that, the mom chooses to forgive and, and not forget, but forgiven and and move forward. Um, because I, I think any parent, we're not parents, but you know, I, even as I was saying off air, if someone did that to someone I loved, whether it's a child, whether it's my mother, whether it's my sister, whether it's, you know, a girlfriend or a wife or whomever, like, I would personally, I know, you know, my emotion could get the best of me. I would want to do unspeakable things to that person. And that's where really we kind of, we, we come to a crossroads at this whole story because eventually, like I said, years go by and they find the identity of who killed this young girl, this daughter, and they find out how she was murdered and, and the reasoning for which she was kidnapped on her way home from from school. And it really is a sick, sick thing that that we don't need to go into super detail on, um, just for, for time purposes, but it's something that it really poses a question of, you know, in the case of Mike Reynolds, something very traumatic happened to his family, to him, like I said, and he leaned on his local government. He leaned on laws that could be passed or things that could be done to rectify and to make right. Wilma Dirksen in this in this in the second kind of case study that we read about or the second story we hear about leans on the foundation of her faith and it that's kind of where we find again like that inverted U curve, right? It's like if you lean too much on one thing, there really can't be progress. Now, forgiving and moving forward is a great avenue. Also, leaning on on authority and government and power that you can use to help rectify a situation and hopefully make better of a situation because of something that happened is also a great avenue um but as we as we find out with the Mike Reynolds situation in contrast to the Wilma Dirksen, too much of one thing or trying to rectify something too much or going too far with with a solution um can ultimately lead to issues down the road or lead to issue in finding that gray area that I mentioned when we were talking about the North Ireland situation.
0: Yeah, we're trying to, again, law and order is putting black and white to gray and trying to, to justify things that have happened. And Mike did what he thought was right and, and unfortunately turned out to be a much larger pain point uh, compared to Wilma uh, and her due to her spiritual belief uh, she was able to save uh, a lot well and I, I'll say save in a context where there weren't further ramifications to what the the actual crime was and you know putting yourselves in, in their shoes it's a hard debatable uh conversation point you know how would you want these things to roll out and of course reading about them is much easier than you being in the situation, I hope we're never in that situation, but um, just food for thought um, on on this specific thing. So we're going to keep the ball rolling here, guys. Um, but without further ado, well, and really
2: quick, Nick, before I, before I talk about that, really quick, there's a quote that I want to read from this book that really ties this up and ties these two things together. And the quote is, and, I, and I'm reading straight from the book when I say this: A man employs the full power of the state in his grief and ends up plunging his government into a fruitless and costly experiment. A woman who walks away from the promise of power finds the strength to forgive and saves her friendship, marriage, and her sanity. The world is turned upside down. So there's a lot in there that there's questions on, I'm sure, for, for people listening to this. Um, I, I, obviously, we always encourage you to read the book so you can get full context of what we're talking about. Um, but to Nick's point, to, wrap, to, to, you know, to kind of wrap up this segment, I do want to take a second to talk about Chi-Town Blankets. They actually, just this last week, Got, an awesome, got awesome news that they also have added another partner, the Chicago Wolves, a local sports team in Chicago. Um, you guys, Chi-Town Blankets are doing such, such awesome work in Chicago uh, as far as getting blankets, taking care of people who are in need and, and really are not as fortunate as, as a lot of us are. Um, and it really is a chance to do good. And that's what Dom and that's what Jack are really, really trying to do. So if you feel compelled or if you're looking to do something, kind of just do a random act of of kindness or you know somebody that would be looking to do this or would want to get involved in this, uh, go to ChiTownBlankets.com. You can donate monetarily. You can donate via a blanket on the store that they have set up online on their store. Uh, So you can go to C-H-I-T-O-W-N-B-L-A-N-K-E-T-S.com Uh, For more information, you can find them on social media and and get involved because everyone deserves to be warm.
0: Well, I did not know that they had a new sponsor. So first off, that's awesome. Kudos to those guys who are getting incorporated. And I I can't say enough good things about Dom and what he's trying to accomplish. I think everyone should go on that that form of their endeavor, uh, if you will. But we are blessed and we are actually concluding uh, the first book series in 2021. Um, and just from a high level here, Cole. So we started way back in the first part of this month, reading a book that you've never read before. I'm reading the second time, but it's resonating to me in a much different and powerful way. What, what are your thoughts, man? Just start to finish on on David and Goliath.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking at the title here and it says David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And there's so much encapsulated in that. It's so much more than a story found in the Bible. It's so much more than just underdogs beating favorites or, you know, a sports team that's not supposed to win-win, as we talked about with the Redwood City, you know, youth like girls basketball team way back when we started this like you said um a lot of things that stick out to me are like emotional decision making and moderation and how too much of one thing can be so so bad for us but too and but and and in contrast to that too little can also be detrimental to our success as well and and how important it is to understand that the, the gray in life for understand what the gray in life allows mm. because black and white while in some cases may be a recipe for success finding the gray area does allow for a lot of flexibility it allows for a lot of adaptability and it allows it also allows for a lot of success it allows you to be able to change and adapt to situations that people would consider tough to overcome and i think you know it it's it it it's so much more than one story battling giants can be seen in so many things than like i said just david versus goliath or or just uh you know a, a girl's basketball team trying to to piece together together four quarters playing press defense
0: man so many so many really well thought out answers to that and i just remember c- kind of going through this and like Balance is a great word to use and finding yeah. that. Cause like we can look at something like this and like think logically, okay, where does the inverted U curve like play in my life? But also if we just take the general principle from that is this was, that was huge for me because I know in, in the former areas of my life, I was very unbalanced and I per, got indulged too much in, in certain things here or there. And um, just to know that it's okay to find a sweet spot. Like you should be encouraged to find a sweet spot. And what is that sweet spot? And think to yourselves guys and me, you know, it could be a, a area of physical fitness or relationships or finances or something that there is a nice sweet spot
2: that can be found. Well, and, and, you know, to that point, kind of what I'm saying, kind of, it kind of ties in perfectly with, with my original point of like, when you find that sweet spot it can always be shifting, right? With each situation that's presented. So yeah, maybe you find your sweet spot in a relationship, but that sweet, you lose that sweet spot in like your, your physical fitness, or you lose that sweet spot in maybe just your social life or, or your career work. And so it it always, it's always a sliding scale. And, and I think you, Nick actually nailed it like right on the head with the word balance. And Understanding how emotions play a part of that, but also using the resources that are available to overcome these giants, or or to to shed the label of a misfit. Uh, you know, it, it it's a super interesting concept to me. It, this is like one of the best books I've read. It says on the title, it's it Gladwell's Sweep is breathtaking and thought provoking. I I don't think there's any better term to use for this book than thought provoking. Just reading through it, I it provoked thought and how fitting that we had a guest kind of that, that we title as a thought provoker, uh, in the midst of all this. But Jeremy, I want to turn to you because we questioned you a lot during this book. And I'm curious, kind of as the person we poked and we prodded, what, what thoughts were provoked within you? Maybe even some that, that you thought of in your own time um, or or some that that really stick out from from kind of getting the the raw unfiltered answers.
1: So I'm gonna go ahead and start with like our our first ever introduction episode and kind of how I thought this would go. And you know after like the title David and Goliath and and spending our first day just talking specifically David and Goliath almost. I I haven't read the, I hadn't read the book and and that'll change with our next book. Spoiler alert. But um. I honestly thought this book was just going to be all about underdogs and, and David and Goliath and how how David overcame Goliath. But I was very pleasantly surprised that it was so much more than that. As as you said, it's misfits and, and other stories that go along with what you could consider a David and Goliath. And what really stuck out to me is like, you, I see this every day in my industry, in, in sports. We're, we're always battling an uphill battle and we're always trying to be different than the competition and, and it's something that I can personally take away and, and go apply to a, a coaching technique or anything like that where I'm not looking to create a Goliath. I'm looking to create someone who can take down a Goliath in a in a different way than anyone else has ever seen before. And and that's what I really appreciate about this book is there's so many different ways to do the right thing. And, and Gladwell brings up a bunch of different ways and, and like that's what I'll the main thing I'll take away from this book.
2: You know, you Jeremy, you you said something that just kind of like sparked a thought with me. Talking about thought provoking, thought provocation, and 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 just kind of thinking in your own head. But you you said uphill battle, and I think in the pursuit of defeating a Goliath, or and and I think a Goliath. You know, when I'm thinking about this, in the pursuit of becoming our best selves, right? That's what like this podcast is really founded on. It's like we want to become the best versions of us that we can be. Not necessarily the perfect version, but the best version. It's an uphill battle. And any pursuit of any pursuit of the best, whether it's the best version of us, whether it's, it's trying to tackle a Goliath, it's an uphill battle. And I think people if you can strap in for that and and enjoy enjoy what that means or or enjoy the understanding at least Uh, it, it really is a a beautiful, beautiful art to be learned.
0: Well, and along with that, being able to understand that everything or every giant you face, whether that's your own personal, uh, life philosophy as to self-improvement, whether it's a sports competition, everyone has a strength and a weakness. There is no one out there that does not have weakness in some capacity. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about this book is even though you have these uh, just giants that are insurmountably strong and willed and have all these great qualities, there are weaknesses in their armor. And there's certain approaches that you can take that would exploit those very things. And I mean, that could be a conversation with yourself. Where are your weaknesses at? Where are your obvious weaknesses at? You don't have to share them with people, but think to yourself, what are your strengths as well too? And having that self-awareness is is super positive uh, just as we kind of battle some motivational thoughts <laughs> here as we wrap this uh, this episode up. But um, if you guys feel good with where you're at right now, I would like to share one more thing and then we can get it wrapped up for the State Street residents. Are you guys good to go? By all means. Okay. Wonderful. So, before I read this, I also wanted to share my my favorite thing about this book is how sometimes misfits wreak havoc in a world like th- people that aren't supposed to do well in certain areas that can do well or that can develop into successful people. It just poses a lot of inspiration um, for me. But just as uh, just in departing here, so from Malcolm, it was the marginal and the damaged which should remind us that there are real limits to what evil and misfortune can accomplish. If you take away the gift of reading, you create the gift of listening. If you bomb a city, you leave behind death and destruction, but you create a community of remote misses. If you take away a mother or father, you cause suffering and despair, but one time out of 10, out of that despair rises in a, uh, sorry, State Street listeners, my, uh, my speaking is not the greatest, but an amazing force. You see the giant and the shepherd in the valley. Your eye is drawn to the man with the sword and the shield and the glistening armor. But so much of what is beautiful and valuable in the world comes from the shepherd who has more strength and purpose, uh, than we ever imagined. So just we part thoughts on that state street residents. It was a great episode. And until next time, guys.